Welcome to Yoga Unearth Me. Aiding Yoga as your remedy with Felicia Kears. Welcome. My arms extend widely for you to be held in. Welcome to being here. I'll take you through a little journey of understanding the world of bhakti, as bhakti is the yoga path, one of a few. It is the path of devotion. If you feel at any point in your life, or as of recently, that you need more devotion upon your practice, within your days, and how you perceive the world, then this is perfectly aligned to you. Before I delve into this, I want to share to you about a couple of my services that are available. The first one, if you've been delving and taking the guidance of my meditation recordings here on this podcast, then I have a beautiful, beautiful online course for you. It's profound in the subconscious sphere of your life. This online course I have available is called Meditation for Centering. It is an 11-week journey, 11 weeks where you'll be given 11 guided meditation recordings that are in visionary and mindfulness, as well as journaling booklets. This is to process your embarkation within the whole of the journey. This will be available in the link below. The second is a 101 of personalized sessions with me a journey for three months where you will be given a journey but by the guidance of me to support you personally on Zoom and to go deeper into your yoga path to customize the path for you to move through. If you feel called to this, the link is below where you can Schedule a connecting call with me. We can talk for an hour for free and get to know each other and know the path that you're currently on and that you want to create. Now on to bhakti. The yoga path of devotion. In order to understand the encompass of all these practices first starts with the word devotion. So as I say the word devotion, I want you to understand what this word means to you. Maybe write it into a paper or the notes of your phone. What does devotion mean to you?
And then I want you to think why devotion is a cherishable thing. And then I want you to be honest with yourself. I want you to be honest if you are devoting and have been devoting. Or maybe you're not. Either answer are great. Now once you've come to terms with the word devotion, the question lays, what is bhakti? Bhakti is for finding the universal godly love. This love that encompasses us together into a sense of oneness. Bhakti for immense trust within you, to others around you, and to life in general and how you perceive it. Bhakti for ongoing contentment, for simple living, for simple ways. Simplicity for just genuine bliss. Bhakti for overcoming the struggles and traumas of your life. And lastly, for deep connection to the heart. All of these are why we do bhakti. And if you feel called to any of those, then bhakti is the right approach for you. But what is bhakti? How did it come about? We need to understand the origin of how it was created in order to understand the involvement of a practice and how bhakti can be customizable to you as well. Bhakti is the oldest form of yoga that is rooted into the Vedas. The Vedas are an ancient religious text in Sanskrit literature, and it is one of the oldest in Hinduism. Now, as it is the oldest form of yoga, and although it was rooted into the Vedas, it was more about the context of bhakti that was rooted into the Vedas and less about it being a very distinctive path. Sometime after this very Vedas, the Bhagavad Gita came about, which is another Hindu scripture. At this time, around 500 BC, the Gita showcased three paths of yoga in its distinctive forms, one of them being bhakti. The Gita took the context of bhakti that was rooted into the Vedas and formed it into its own construction of a path. Because of this, 
And because of the Gita, it became a popular devotional movement in India. This movement between 800 and 1100 AD came about as it was devotion to the Gita, as it was devotion to the form of bhakti. And it created bhakti marga. Now, this devotional movement encompassed so many people because of the popularity of it, because of how accessible it is that it created devotees of Krishna, of the Gita. And altogether, Bhakti Marga and its people formulated a new scripture, Bhagavad Purana, of which hold symbolic stories in relation to Bhakti, to the mind and how we deal with life. Bhagavad Gita speaks about three paths. One, of course, is bhakti, the path of devotion. The second being karma yoga, which is the path of selfless action. And the third being jnana, the path of self-realization. All three of these paths that Gita spoke of is to construct our personal nature with that of the highest form. These three paths, you can take all, or maybe you feel most resonate to certain ones that you would love to go through. But suddenly at time, the paths changed in a sense that there was an additional path added to it. The additional being Raja Yoga, the path of self-discipline that created all these paths together as being four side by side. The fourth came about because of Ashtanga, the eight limbs of yoga, Again, it was a context which then, at some point in the 19th century, was created into its own form by a Swami, who then called it Raja, yet again creating a distinctive path of yoga. The word bhakti in Sanskrit, when translated to English, means devotion. Bhakti is a state of mind where devotee surrender himself or herself unquestionably to God. This is giving away our ego to the act of devotion, and that is what is surrender. Through bhakti, we create a union of human soul with that of Supreme God or wherever you identify the higher source to bind the universe, where we merge men's love, being the highest power of human form, to that of devotion, 
to something that is beyond us, beyond our ego. Here I'm going to share to you a couple of the Bhakti Sutras, which give thought and remembrance as to what these focuses are when we are on the journey of Bhakti. So this is the first Bhakti Sutra that I'll be sharing to you. It is the Lord alone who is to be loved and adored at all times with a mind free from external care. To those devotees who love him and seen his glory, he reveals himself. This is the highest path to love the one absolute eternal truth. Truly, this divine love is the highest. Now, in order to understand this sutra, you don't need to believe in God per se. You perhaps don't even need to believe in higher source, but believe in the internal truth of your heart. The sutra gives meaning in a sense that our love is a capacity greater than us alone. And when we bring that love into a devotional state, of which is truly about aim and intention, then we free ourselves from all external traumas and pains. When we give ourselves away to something else that's higher than us, something that is grander than our ego alone, then we are removing those attachments, those attachments that are held onto us. And we are freed, freed into the core of our truth. So whatever section of the sutra that stood out to you, write it down. Type it into your notes. And also, when I read the sutra, how did it make you feel? I'll bring you into the second sutra. One does not need to avoid the world to attain divine love. Nor is it necessary to avoid the world after attaining it. Actions must undoubtedly continue to be performed. It is only the desire for the fruits of actions that is to be abandoned. What I love about the sutra is that it is confirming to us that there is no need to escape reality. What we do need to do is change our perception and the way we act upon this world to bring a sense of heaven to earth. And during that path, we must not let go of that sense of devotion and act of love and the act of surrender. We are to allow it to increase and to grow in order to make life all the more livable, to make it blissful. So as I read that to you, I want you to understand the way it made you feel, what you gathered from it, 
and write that down. There are nine elements to bhakti. Elements that have sub-practices, sub-categories, to which when we go through these mental and emotional mini-paths, brings us into the biggest form that is bhakti. All these elements share one thing, devotion. And so I'll share them to you. There is something very simple, but also at the same time could be a struggle. The first one being surrender, as it is right after devotion. For without surrender, you cannot devote. Surrender is about letting go of our individuality our identity, who we think we know of this world, of which is much more of an issue now than ever, given that in the context of social media, it's all about us. It's all about identifying us in a way of presenting to the world. So something like surrender can be increasingly and profoundly beneficial to everyone. The second being acceptance. Accept the reality as it is. Accept all the times and all the bruises and events you've gone through in the past. Accept where you are in this moment. Accept it all in order to surrender. The third being inherent truth. In order to attain inherent truth comes into the removal of your mask. All the layers that have been upon you. All the veilings upon you. These are things that we place upon ourselves due to ignorance or unwillingness to admit to all the ways that we try to present ourselves. By removing these things, we find the inherent truth within us. And it may seem easy from afar, but in the practice, it can be quite a journey. The fourth being trust. Identify trust within the nature that is and that is amongst you. Trust in yourself. Trust in the world. Trust everything. I know that one could be very contradictory and very controversial to some But this is more about the trust of where you're going rather than the trust that has since been prevented by things that have happened to you in the past. Trust in the now, 
in order to attain trust to yourself. The fifth being guidance. Adhere to the teachings, let go of control. Allow guidance to take you as if you were letting go and floating amongst the water as it takes you somewhere. Our ego has a way of always wanting control, even in the essence of teach of being taught. But we need to just kind of let go and learn and see what comes to us. Faith. Remembrance of the godly nature in your mind at all times. With faith, we can gain trust. With faith comes acceptance for guidance. With faith comes pure intention. The following element of bhakti is intention. Offer yourself a focus to fulfill your dharma, which is your duty. Intention allows for strength to be projected to something of the future, to your horizon. Intention is a guideline within itself to move forward within. Divine perception. See all meaning and purpose in everything. Perceptions that allow you to accept reality. Divine perception for trust. And to surrender into the form of devotion. And through seeing everything with meaning and purpose, we then gain the last element of bhakti. Contentment, feeling complete and fulfilled, which may seem easy when we speak about it, but how often are you feeling content? Is it continuous? So, with all these nine elements that you heard, What were a couple that stood out to you the most? Write it down. Feel into those words. I want you to understand those very elements that came forcing to your mind and to your awareness are the very, very elements you need to be worked upon, that you need to practice in. Now, when we're speaking about bhakti, I understand that I'm often using the word God um, as a form to devote ourselves to. But there's a diverse range of of devotional love that are all the same. It's just different contexts and terminology. So based on your own emotional states and your perceptions, in order to understand a form that's higher than your ego. There are many things that we can place devotion towards. If you see it as God, then God is the very thing that you need to devote yourself to. If you see it in 
other divine forms that you identify as or of the universe, use that as well. But if either of these are difficult for you to try or that it just simply doesn't resonate to you, think about a loved one that has since passed. Think about a loved one in your family member, a friend or a life partner. Think about them to devote your love towards. And you can devote yourself to more than one each day, depending on the very person that you are. Because all these forms are extensions of the word and the act of devotion itself. It's merely about releasing us away from our own, from our identity, and devoting our love to something else. That is what surrender is. I'm going to share to you um, a little section from the Bhagavad Purana where Krishna praises bhakti. The wise person should abandon bad company and associate with the virtuous. For the virtuous ones sever the mind's attachments to worldly concerns by their utterances. O greatly blessed devotee, these blessed ones constantly tell my story. By listening to which people are released from sin, those who respectfully listen to, esteem, and recite my story become dedicated to me and attain faith and devotion to me. Here in this very section of the Bhagavad Purana, Krishna shares about the importance of having community, of people that are of like-minded, that them too devote their acts towards. Because it's easier to come into devotional practice when we are motivated by our peers who are also doing the same. It creates an environment to nourish ourselves in and to grow in by the act of our own surrender and devotion. So whatever you felt from that section, understand that feeling. Understand your very few upon it. Here are the nine principles of bhakti that are used as acts for the traditional bhakti practice. Now, in saying them, I excuse my any mispronunciation that I have, my uh, pronunciation of Sanskrit is a little bit awful at times, but take it with a grain of salt, and hopefully I don't disrespect anyone of the culture. But we want to understand the meaning of these Sanskrit words and the acts upon them. The first principle used as an act for bhakti practice in a traditional form, is shravana. Shravana is the act of hearing. It's the form of listening to the teachings that are brought to you. For you to delve deeper into your reflection and insights and understanding by what is being said to you. 
Traditionally, this is done in the hearing of Lord's Lilas, the gods' virtues, glories, and sports and stories. Now, Shravana, the act of hearing, is a reminder to surround ourselves. Surround ourselves with teachings upon the very subject that you want to go towards in your life. Rather it be as it is traditionally through the Lord's Lailas, or maybe simply listening to podcasts, listening or watching a documentary, reading books that amplify these very things that you want to go towards. Each of them giving a teaching of this very life that you are upon and how to access your mind, how to access your heart in order to achieve these things. The second one, being the most common and popular, is Kirtana, also known as Kirtan. These are singing God's praises. Kirtana is singing or chanting God's praises and stories, songs describing the relationship between the human soul and God. There's reciting of prayers or poems, and there's a repetition of God's name, and there's also dancing. Now this form of principle used in the practice to attain bhakti is merely about allowing us to express the stories, to express the knowings and the wisdom, but also the reminder of our voices, our voices and the tones and melodies of instruments that bring a vibration. Do you ever notice when you see a gospel singing in a church? how powerful that is. Do you feel that vibration allow your heart to grow? That is why Kirtana exists. As for the reciting or the repetition of God's names, can merely be about the representation of our abilities to let go of our ego. The third principle I love to share to you is smarana, which is the remembrance of God. Remember the presence of God at all times from the moment you awake to the moment you lay to bed throughout your day and all things that you do. Keep the remembrance conscious. Smarana is about being conscious in knowing the presence of life beyond your ego, knowing the bliss of life beyond your ego. And through this remembrance, each time you try to remember yourself, allows you to see the world differently, allows your thoughts to be more bliss, more relaxed, And when we've become relaxed, it's easier for us to surrender.
The other one is Parasadana, which is the reminder for us to service to others, to be of service, and strong for those that are poor and the sick. This is to give selfless compassion. Again, extending away from our ego. This is giving our love to someone else and to know that we have so much care and empathy that we are willing to give ourselves away for another. This is the sense of serving the Lord's feet to bow and to give. Of course, if this is balanced to self-care. But this form could be something very small or something very grand, depending on your capability and capacity to do so. But before giving selfless compassion, always remember to also give compassion to your well-being, of which bhakti allows us to do as well, because bhakti releases the tension, the ego, and brings us into a state of the childlike tendencies, of curiosity, of elation, Another principle of bhakti traditionally used is archana, which is the act of worshipping God through rituals such as the puja or by offerings. This type of worship is often used by the sense of an image or statue, or if it's easier for one to not use materialistic things, we can use mental visualization. Any sort of offering is merely about the intention behind the offering rather than what the offering is. This shows us the strength of our thoughts. The sense of worship is merely about creating something as an image in your mind. And allow that to be the altar of your practice. Allow that to be the aim. The other principle is Vandana. Vandana is a physical prayer. It's often used um, in, traditionally where they lay themselves upon their stomach, extending the arms up overhead, completely stretched out on the ground, or on the knees, bowing as their arms are stretched up overhead. These two forms of physical prayer is to curb any sense of self-absorption or self-centeredness. These physical prayers are to embody that very aspect of worship through the body. Now, from a personal point of view, I feel that Vandana can also be used um, or it can be linked to asana, which is the physical postures of yoga. I see physical postures as forms of prayer that we embody through our body. Um, but depending on what type of mindset we are in and what realm of study that we are in within yoga, that can be a little bit controversial, but it all depends on what you feel. 
Another category traditionally used is Desia. This is being a servant of God. You are a servant of life, of higher power. Carrying on the principles, meditating, caring for the sick and the poor, and helping the community. Being a servant allows us to fulfill our dharma, which is our duties. But being a servant is more about being the very persons we can be as we carry the torch of wisdom upon one to another. A servant is someone who assists and brings care. And with those very things, we become and embody that to ourselves and to our life. The other is Shaka Bhava. Shaka Bhava is the relationship with God. Come into a sense of loving and seeing higher power, God, whatever you identify as, as a family member and a friend. Building a relationship with this allows you to formulate a strength that allows you to go deeper into the sense of letting go to this being, to surrendering to this being, to devote to this being. Because when we build relationships, our hearts begin to grow. The last principle of bhakti is atma navada. Oops, I just said that wrong. (laughs) My apologies. Atma navadana, which is self-surrender. This is complete surrender of yourself, offering your mind, your body, and your soul to that of higher existence, removing yourself from ego, and bringing yourself into innocence. This is losing the thought of what you think you know you are into a being that's complete with divine and everyone else. This is to formulate the sense of oneness. It could be known as God consciousness and absolute love, but self-surrender is for oneness. Now what these principles that I share that are traditionally used in bhakti, what are the couple that stood out to you the most? I know that those are the very principles to incorporate into your life. Now, as we grow into the devotional path of bhakti, we attain bhavas, which are feelings. But these are feelings that could be extended from understanding and comprehension of what we think we know about feelings. They're not your traditional sense of feelings, such as sadness, anger, and frustration, there's something more. And so it's categorized in a way that when we move through our devotional path, we attain feelings that are connected to our heart. And I'll share them to you. 
The first bhava is original bhava, which is a relationship with God and feeling that. So in a sense, just building a relationship that is not your ego. From there, the more we build a relationship through this act, we then create mahabhava, which is the feeling as if everything that is in life and that moves is in that sense of consciousness and love. We begin to feel that way every day. From the moment we move our body to brushing our teeth, we begin to feel that essence. Now when we start to feel that, we create what's called shantabhava, which is a sense of peacefulness. When we start to feel peacefulness, we then gain dasiya bhava, which is feeling joy and bliss. With this joy and bliss, we go deeper into that relationship with God as it becomes all the more authentic and deep. And that very bhava is, is called sakya. Sakya bhava is the authenticity of connection that we have to that feeling. And from that feeling, when that connection grows, that relationship grows, we start to feel nourished. Nourished as a mother to a child and to a child to a mother. And that very bhava, that very bhava is vatsaya. And when we feel that nourishment from both parties, we gain oneness, which is kanta bhava. Now in what I shared, from the elements to the principles to the bhavas, understand that these are fragments, each in its own Fragments that you can choose and to move in towards. And through these fragments, they let us grow into another. As they are all but pieces to the major puzzle of bhakti. But in general, bhakti is an act where we alleviate ourselves from our ego. By very practices and elements that allow us to let go of that very existence. And bring us into the existence of a being that's more whole, that's more deep, that's to our heart. Devotion can also bring you deeper into the knowing of God, if that's something that you feel attracted to and gravitate towards. It brings you deeper into your nature yourself, into your spiritual practice. And the form of bhakti completely alleviates ourselves from the hardships of our life, of all the things that we're attached to, by attaching in the form of devotion to God, we detach from everything else, from the things that weighed us down, 
So I hope that I took you on a little journey to understand a bit about what bhakti is. Look deeper into it. Understand bhakti as a form of act that when we do in our life becomes a beautiful unfolding of something greater than who you are. And I hope that you find that wherever you are. And I hope you enjoyed this little guidance of sharing bhakti. I hope you have a beautiful day. Many love and blessings.